Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation and instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, well, thank you so much, Cody, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, The Role of Radiation Therapy in the Treatment of Breast Cancer. It's such an important topic, and it's one that we have not offered specifically on this topic in the past, and we're really delighted um, to be able to offer this focus on the role of radiation therapy in the treatment of breast cancer. And um, today's program is supported by Varian Medical Systems, Inc., a Siemens Health and Airs company. And I really want to thank them for their support. Um, and on well, today's program, we have over 156 participants. You come from all over the United States, primarily from the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from Canada, Nicaragua, and the United Kingdom. So it's a global call as well. And we're delighted that you've all chosen to spend this next hour with us. And now I'd like to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Angelique Ellerby Richardson. And Dr. Richardson is a medical oncologist, assistant professor, UC San Diego. And Dr. Richardson will be addressing an overview of breast cancer, the role of precision medicine in informing treatment choices, current standard of care, and the role of clinical trials, how research contributes to your treatment options. It's my pleasure to, to uh, introduce and to bring on to you my esteemed colleague, Dr. Richardson. Hello, this is Dr. Richardson. Thank you so much for that introduction. I'm really delighted to be here today with everyone. So I'll first talk about an overview of breast cancer. So I think it's helpful to think of breast cancer as being made up of multiple diseases in the breast. It ranges from benign breast ch changes such as fibrosis, which is the same tissue that makes up your, your ligaments or, or scar tissue. And then it can uh, go from that, from benign breast changes to pre-malignant diseases such as ductal carcinoma in site 2, or you may have heard it referred to as DCIS, uh, which is one that has the potential of progressing to cancer. And then there are diseases in the breast that are called invasive because they have the potential to spread outside of the breast to the rest of the body. And this is what we typically think of when we hear breast cancer. So breast cancer is composed of various subtypes, and we define them based on the proteins or little receptors that the cell expresses on its surface. The, there are three main receptors and the, or proteins. The first two are estrogen receptor or progesterone receptor. We also shorten that to ER or PR. If they are present on the surface of the cell, then we consider that ERPR positive. And that means that the body uses estrogen to cause those, uh, or the, those cancer cells use estrogen so that they can grow and divide. The third protein is called HER2 or HER2. And that, makes, that tells the cell, it gives a signal for the cell to grow out of control. 
and these are called HER2-positive breast cancer. So breast cancer is made up of a combination of these three receptors. And uh, treatment varies according to the expression of these receptors, and it includes systemic therapies with chemotherapy or endocrine therapy, uh, and it may, may include uh, radiation therapy and also surgery. So this is a, a, a brief overview of, of breast cancer. So now talking, to, talking about the role of precision medicine in informing treatment choices, precision medicine plays a very important role in our treatment decisions. And its importance is growing as we learn more and more about how cancer cells work. So one example is the use of genomic tests, such as mammoprint and oncotype. These are tests that are used in early stage breast cancer. When we consider early stage, it's a breast cancer that has not spread to any distant areas in the body, such as the lungs or the bones or the liver. These tests help inform us. Uh, whether or not a patient will benefit from the addition of chemotherapy to their treatment plan. Another form of precision medicine is uh, tumor profiling or sequencing. That's when we take uh, the, the tumor itself and we look to see if there is an expression of genes that determine if the, these, uh, something that we can target uh, with available therapies to treat this patient based on these findings. So, Precision medicine allows us to tailor our therapy to an individual. So it helps us to offer the right treatment for the right patient. Our current standard of care is to treat uh, ERPR positive or estrogen and progesterone receptor positive breast cancers with endocrine therapy. So as I mentioned, if they're ERPR positive, that means that the breast cancer cell uses estrogen to grow. So our, one of our treatment strategies is to block that estrogen from um, being used by the, the cancer cell. And in that way, we starve the cells, and that, that is the, the treatment for that type of breast cancer. The third protein we talked about was the HER2 or HER2 um, receptor. And if it's present on the cells, then we would use treatment targeted to that HER2, and that's called HER2-targeted therapy. Most ERPR positive um, breast cancers or, um, or HER2-positive breast cancers are going to receive similar therapies. And what I mean by that is if it's ERPR positive, you're going to receive some therapies that is to block that uh, your, your receptor, or that estrogen receptor in some way, and that's what we consider endocrine therapy or hormonal therapy. If it's HER2-positive, you're going to receive, or the recommendation would be to receive some sort of treatment to target that HER2-positive receptor. You can also have a lack of all three of these receptors, and that's what we uh, term triple-negative breast cancer because it doesn't it, it's triple-negative because it doesn't have any of those three receptors on it. So there isn't a treatment targeting those receptors because those receptors are not present. With, with triple-negative breast cancers or HER2-positive breast cancers, these are typically treated with chemotherapy either before or after surgery. And for the ERPR-positive or HER2-negative breast cancer patients, we already mentioned earlier within our precision, the role of precision medicine, that we can use oncotype or mammoprint to determine if they need chemotherapy as long as it's an, a stage of cancer that is not progressed outside of the breast. So now I will talk about the role of um, clinical trials and how research contributes to our treatment options. So the role of clinical trials is very important. 
It allows us to offer new therapies to patients before they're available outside of the context of a clinical trial. It also allows us to study the course of breast cancer and how these therapies work to either prevent the return of cancer or the progression of, of disease, of cancer. And it really depends on the design and the goal of the clinical trial. So we always encourage enrollment in clinical trials because they, have, they are the reason why we have the therapies that we have available and um, hopefully the pl uh, many, many more to come. Thank you for listening. That will conclude my uh, segment. Oh, that was superb. And I want to thank you so much, Dr. Richardson, for that outstanding and stellar presentation. I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. And, um, and thank you so much for really setting the stage for today's program. Thank you. Thank you so much. And our next uh, speaker is Dr. Sudi Alawat. And Dr. Alawat will be addressed as Clinical Director, Department of Radiation Oncology, Assistant Professor of Radiation Oncology, Cooper Medical School at Rowan University, MD Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper. And Dr. Alawat will be addressing the role of radiation therapy in the treatment of breast cancer, when is radiation therapy recommended, types of radiation therapy, and follow-up care. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Alawat. Thank you so much for uh, welcoming me to the program. I'm delighted to be talking about um, this share of topics. So. Just to begin with, what is the role of radiation therapy in the treatment of breast cancer? Um, radiation can be used in all stages of breast cancer, but not all patients always get radiation. So whether that is the in situ or precancerous lesions that Dr. Richardson spoke about, radiation can be used there. It can be used in stage one and two breast cancer. It can also be used in stage three and four, and we'll go through some of that um, over the throughout uh, today's talk. Um, so to talk about when is radiation therapy then recommended, I think what we have to go back to first is what is radiation. They're high-energy x-rays um, or particles that are targeted to a specific area of the body. Um, and to determine when we use it, we have to look at what kind of surgery we went through first. So um, if one were to go through something called a lumpectomy, which is removing a small area of breast cancer, um, with a healthy rim of normal breast tissue around it, um, we almost always add in radiation after that. Generally, that is for smaller tumors, more early stage tumors, um, or the in situ DCIS, LCICDs that we spoke about. Um, in that setting, it's called breast conservation or breast preservation. And essentially what that allows us to do is to not remove the whole breast as one would with a mastectomy. And when we add in radiation to that smaller surgery for well-chosen patients, it is almost as good as doing a mastectomy. Now, the other half of that then is a mastectomy, which is removal of all of the breast tissue. Uh, and sometimes after that, if it's an early stage tumor, then we don't need to do radiation. But if it is a tumor that is a little bit larger, um, does not have clean margins, meaning the tumor was touching the edges of the tissue when the breast surgeon did their excellent surgery, or if the lymph nodes are involved, we may be using uh, radiation in those instances uh, to, treat, to treat the um, cancer. And the reason radiation is effective or, or can be used in these situations is because uh, radiation goes 
uses that we use those x-rays or those heavy particles to help us kill the cancer cells normal tissue has has the ability to regenerate and uh, repair itself but breast cancer does not so then to review the types of radiation therapy so firstly you can very generally break up radiation between um, external beam versus brachytherapy. So external beam radiation is delivered from the outside of the body, as, as, as the name implies. And generally what that involves is a patient um, in a radiation um, vault or room where the machine moves around them to deliver the radiation from the outside, the x-rays. It's, it's targeted treatment. We use specialized imaging to develop the radiation. Generally, that involves a CT simulation or a CAT scan of the patient because every patient is different. So it is individualized and targeted treatment for that individual patient. Now, brachytherapy or internal radiation involves the usage of radiation inside the breast um, with an implanted device sometimes. Um, mainly, the majority of patients do get external beam therapy. Now, one may wonder, what is the course of that? Generally, that is delivered anywhere from around three to four weeks to up to six weeks. Uh, with early stage breast, breast cancer, we usually deliver radiation over three to four weeks of daily treatment, Monday through Friday, every day, um, the weekends to recuperate oneself, um, and then we finish out in generally about three weeks. Um, the treatment time itself is about 20 minutes. The radiation is not on for that entire time, but you know, the healthcare team works uh, to set you up in that perfect, precise position every single day. The radiation is only on for a few minutes, and that depends on uh, each individual patient. Um, so furthermore, in, in the types of radiation therapy, and we'll briefly touch on this, um, you know, there, there's x-rays or um, uh, linear accelerators versus protons, and protons tend to be heavier particles of radiation that certain centers around the country have. Um, and it's not always necessary that we need something like that in radiation, in breast cancer radiation. Um, for follow-up care in radiation, for the most part, once you finish radiation, um, we see you maybe a few weeks later, up to a month later, to make sure that everything is going to be um, healing up well. And then after that, we see you approximately about every three months for the first five years. And that may be shared amongst the entire healthcare multidisciplinary team. As you just heard, Dr. Richardson's part of the team, radiation therapist, radiation oncologists are, as well as your breast surgeon. So, you know, sometimes we space you out a bit more so that you're not seeing everyone every three months, but we do keep an eye on you every three months. For those patients that do have um, their breasts still intact, meaning we did a lumpectomy and did not do a mastectomy, we continue follow-up care with annual mammography for both breasts. Um, in mastectomy patients, if both breasts were removed, then there is not mammogram, mammography involved anymore. Um, but if there was only one breast removed, then the other breast continues to get a mammogram every year. And I think uh, that, that touches amongst most of what I wanted to talk about, but Happy to review anything else during the question and answer portion. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Alawat. That was really outstanding. And again, just such important information for our participants. So I so appreciate your um, your presentation. And 
I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. I have to say the questions are already coming in before we've been told people how to queue up for questions. So they have a very wonderful speakers and wonderful participants as well. And our next speaker is Dr. John Eng, and Dr. Eng is Assistant Professor, Director of Medical Student Education in Radiation Oncology, while Cornell Medicine Department of Radiation Oncology. And Dr. Eng will be addressing questions to ask your healthcare team about radiation therapy, possible side effects of radiation therapy, short and long-term effects, managing the side effects of radiation therapy, guidelines to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, quality of life concerns, and discussion of open notes. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Eng. Thank you, Dr. Messner and the cancer care team. And I'd like to thank my colleagues, Dr. Richardson and Dr. Alawat, for this connection today with our audience. So I've been um, tasked with um, the, the topics of questions to ask your healthcare team about radiation therapy. And if you don't mind, I'll first zoom out. I'll start with this. The most important change in the past few decades is that survival rates for breast cancer patients have gotten better. This is true whether we are looking at the results from the U.S., from Europe, or globally. And we're still on the good part of the slope. So hopefully there will continue to be improvements in survival in the coming decades. It is also true that breast cancer will be an increasing challenge globally as global income grows and as survival improves in developing nations. And the story of why outcomes have gone better in breast cancer is that there have been improvements in all aspects of management what we call multidisciplinary care. The old paradigm would be that the patient would see the surgeon who would tell the patient what would be done and when to see the other parts of the care team. Today, breast cancer care is a team effort. Um, we refer to it as multidisciplinary management. The patient meets with all members of her care team, including the surgeon, the medical oncologist, and radiation oncologist before deciding on her treatment. And that team includes radiologists and pathologists who will have discussed all aspects of her care, including having looked at the imaging and having discussed the pathology together. Together, the team develops a plan of care and communicates this in an accessible and understandable way to the patient. So to um, formulate this in terms of questions to ask your healthcare team, you should ask the team how well integrated are the members of the team? Who are the members of my team? Have they all talked together about what was seen on the imaging? What the nature of the tumor is like? Have uh, we discussed opportunities to preserve the breast? Um, what are available clinical trials in this um, particular setting? Etc. Ideally, you would have seen your radiation oncologist in your initial visits, but even if not, at least the radiation oncologist should be part of formulating the treatment plan so that you can ask the team, is radiation under consideration as part of the treatment? Okay, radiation is part of the treatment plan. In terms of radiation, what are questions to ask? I tend to think about this uh, at the broader level. First, what is the area that will be treated 
and this will be individualized to the particular case. Um, in terms of radiation treatment, is are we treating the whole breast? Are we treating after a mastectomy surgery? Will we need to treat the regional lymph nodes? Um, what about just treating part of the breast? These are all um, things that I think are important to be communicated between the patient and the radiation oncologist. Second questions include, how long will the radiation treatments be? Radiation often comes after surgery, but this requires some recovery time and is dependent on whether chemotherapy is within the treatment picture as well. But at a trend broad level, radiation treatment courses have gotten shorter over the years, from routinely five to seven weeks to now three weeks and sometimes even one week. In my opinion, the best time to have discussion about side effects is probably before a treatment plan is formulated, and then again when one is ready to start planning for radiation treatment. At a fundamental level, many patients are scared of radiation treatments. I've always felt that the most important component of meeting the patient is dispelling common but persistent perceptions of radiation treatment. Heck, I spend a lot of my time dispelling common misperceptions amongst doctors about radiation treatment. It came from another era um, with probably older technologies and a different concept of breast cancer treatment, but it is a legacy that radiation therapy has to deal with. First, I try to let patients know that there is no radioactivity involved unless you're using brachytherapy, but uh, in general, there's no radiation uh, radioactivity involved, even though our discipline is called radiation oncology. You don't see radiation. You don't feel radiation. Um, you don't turn into the Hulk or climb walls. Now, I'm being facetious, but it, we have to understand from the patient's perspective, this is um, something that they've never experienced, and there can be a great deal of misperceptions. The radiation is only directed to where we are treating and not to any other parts of the body. And the really take-home message I try to emphasize is that radiation treatments have gotten a lot better over the years. Specifically, to talk about possible side effects of radiation treat, uh, therapy, short and long terms. A basic principle of radiation treatments is that it should ideally go to its targets and avoid nearby healthy tissues. So amongst that sometimes, uh, and one can bring up as a discussion, is treatment um, lying on your back or on your stomach. Um, I have a bias, but I think treatments tend to make sense on your stomach if uh, it makes sense, um, and one should consider it. It helps avoid radiation to the heart and lungs, and recent data supports that it reduces skin side effects. Um, but it really is context dependent. Um, technologies have gotten better, um, and some of this is jargon, but one can consider, and this is often dependent on insurance authorization, um, IMRT, intensely modulated radiation therapy technologies, 3D conformal technologies, or other specialized technologies that may be used, um, depending on the individual case. But more broadly, I want to emphasize that radiation treatments are well tolerated. Common side effects include fatigue and reversible dermatitis. 
Um, to narrow into managing the side effects of radiation treatment, dermatitis um, or other uh, temporary uh, skin side effects are common during radiation treatments and in the months after treatment. Um, often there uh, is a skin regimen involved, um, and I think depending on the individual radiation oncologist, there are myriad skin regimens out there. Um, I'm a fan of regular moisturization, particularly during treatment and in the immediate period after. Fatigue uh, has always been associated with radiation treatments to um, different parts of the body, and, uh, and that is true in breast radiation treatment as well. It probably has to do with inflammatory effects of treatment, um, but it's temporary and transient. Um, we encourage, uh, during and afterwards, hydration and regular exercise to help combat the fatigue, um, but the most reliable um, is that medicine of time, right? So it goes away after a period of time after radiation treatment. In certain contexts, sometimes lymphedema or um, breast reconstruction contracture can occur um, with radiation treatments. Um, lymphedema over the years have gotten milder and better in the modern era. Um, I think this has to do with uh, better radiation techniques, less axillary dissections being done. Um, but it is something that we should recognize as an issue and really should be managed together as a multidisciplinary team with specialists as well. And contracture after breast reconstruction from radiation treatment um, is a potential side effect, and often the radiation oncologist should coordinate with the plastic surgeon. Um, and again, due to just more communication and better improvements in techniques, um, we've gotten better in terms of dealing with it, but it is a, a potential side effect from treatment after breast reconstruction. So in summary, side effects from radiation treatments have gotten a lot better, and it is important to have a radiation oncologist who is accessible and compassionate towards guiding you through your treatments. The last aspect to talk about are guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, quality of life concerns, and discussion of open notes. I'm going to sort of move off of a tangent and discuss this all under aspects of survivorship care, which I think is important and I think undervalued in the current healthcare system. My colleague, Dr. Ann Moore, is one of the leaders in this field, and I've learned much from her over the years. It's important for us as physicians to uh, realize that the top concern for patients remains fear of recurrence from disease. And this is why I feel that follow-up and long-term support is critical. While many aspects of disease recurrence remains out of the control of the physician or the patient, being there for the patient should be a responsibility of the medical team, and that includes the radiation oncologist. We should emphasize the importance of a healthy lifestyle. We should help patients keep track of their imaging, compliance to medications, and a compliance to dietary lifestyle habits, and, fund and we should help address any long-term sequelae from treatments, whether surgical, radiation treatment-related, um, or systemic therapy-related. But more fundamentally, we should be helping address patients at a holistic level for that individual. The healthcare system is perpetually in a uh, state of change and flux. But I often think about a patient that I took care of over the years. She was diagnosed at 36, um, battled metastatic recurrent disease for over 15 years, 
and passed away at 58 in um, late 2020. And she remains an inspiration for me. The reality is that individuals' patients and doctors will come and go, but the intimacy of our relationships will remain. And with that, I uh, would like to um, pass it back to Dr. Mesner for the forum. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Eng. That was really outstanding. It's just a wonderful presentation. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so um, thank you so much, and just, uh, just a, um, lots of good information for everybody. Um, so I do want to say a few words about cancer care before we move on to the Q&A. So please, um, you've, I know we have lots of questions, but put more questions in so we have more questions for our speakers to address. So um, Cancer Care is a national organization, and we provide free programs and services to, to people living with all types of cancer, including breast cancer. We have a very large breast cancer program at Cancer Care. And the services are provided by oncology social workers. We have about 40 oncology social workers on staff. And people often call our HOPE line. Um, it's an 800 number. And actually, at the end of today's program, or actually tomorrow, you will be receiving a survey monkey evaluation, which is an evaluation of the program, but also include any link or anything that we think that you would want to have access to that has been mentioned by our speakers that we think would be useful to you as well. They call our hope line, and, we'll, and the call is answered by an oncology social worker who will address the question asked and then review with them all the services we offer. And the services include support, online support groups, case management, we also offer um, practical, financial, and co-payment assistance. We also have a pet assistance program to help people who have a cat or a dog and they're not able to care for them themselves and need assistance with that care, um, whether it be someone to help walk the dog or someone to help with the litter box or someone to help with actually the cost of food for their, for their pet. And we also offer these workshops about, oh, I would say about 75 of them per year on many different types of cancer and different topics as well. Um, and um, we also have publications. And we also have coping circles, which are small group discussions, um, often led by a social worker, um, in which people discuss different issues uh, affecting different topics um, that they are um, addressing. So with that being said, um, um, we're now going to uh, have a snapshot view of what Cancer Care offers. We're now going to move on to the Q&A, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. So, um, so I'm going to ask um, Cody to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to um, start with the questions. Um, so so um, we have some questions already to start with, so I'll begin with them. We have a number of online questions. Um, so um, I'm going to start with um, the first question um, for Dr. Alouette. Um, if a triple negative uh, patient has a pathologic complete response to neoadjuvant chemo followed by a lumpectomy, is a boost required during radiation? And if you could just explain what a boost is. Sure, absolutely. So a boost is, um, just to begin with that, is a um, when we target the area where the lumpectomy was done for an additional sometimes five to eight treatments. Um, I would say in my practice, uh, when a triple negative breast cancer has had a complete response after therapy, I usually do not boost the lumpectomy. Um, I'd love to hear what Dr. Ng thinks. Dr. Ng, I, I, I agree. Um, you know, uh, there will be some good clinical data that will be coming out uh, hopefully in the next few years, but 
um, I think it's very appropriate to not boost in the in the setting of a pathologic complete response um, in, in triple negative. Thank you. Okay, and a question for Dr. Eng. Um, how much riskier is a radiation is radiation of the left breast than the right from a cardio POV? And if you could explain what POV is for our audience. Uh, um, so probably uh, point of view is, I assume, what the POV stands for, but um, it's a great question. So um, cardiac toxicity is an aspect of radiation care that has improved uh, over the years, um, and uh, particularly treating left-sided tumors, um, it is more challenging than treating right-sided, right? And that's an issue of geography. Um, usually, you can easily avoid the heart from the right side when you're treating the right side. For left side tumors, you usually have to put a little bit more effort. Um, again, with my biases, I, I do like the prone technique for that. The prone technique often will help um, keep the, rate, uh, the heart away from the radiation beams. Um, but other um, good solutions are technologies where you can uh, deliver the radiation beam while the patient is taking a deep breath, uh, otherwise called deep inspiratory breath hold. Um, there are other various imaging te technologies that uh, can help avoid radiation to the heart. So I think that's important to bring up with your radiation oncologist. Um, it has gotten a lot better and, uh, uh, over the decades um, and um, should always be on the mind of both the doctor and the patient, uh, but uh, they're good technologies to avoid radiation to heart with modern techniques. And for Dr. Alouette, how should a patient be monitored for heart complications and over what time frame who's had radiation on the, for the um, left breast? So that's a great question. Um, you know, generally, when we have um, these complications, they tend to be months to years down the line, generally years down the line. So after a certain period of um, having treatment with your breast cancer, for your breast cancer, you're seen annually, and you're seen annually with one of your oncologists um, and hopefully also your primary care physician. And so over time, you know, we'll monitor your health status, but there are not specific guidelines or any specific tests to be done to monitor them. Um, as we grow older, our primary care physicians do do um, EKGs on us, if appropriate echoes, and all of those can be incorporated in um, as appropriate. Excellent, thank you. And for Dr. Richardson, um, how do cancer cells spread other than through the lymph nodes? Yes. Um, Thank you for that question. It's a great question. Cancer also can spread through the blood, um, through like the through the bone marrow. So the main way that we think about it is what we call um, hematogenous spread. So that would be through the blood, through the marrow, or or through the lymph nodes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and um, so. Um, for Dr. Um, Eng, um, can you cover the pros and cons between the different types of radiation as far as side effects, success rates, et cetera? And they're also asking about brachytherapy as well. And we do have a question also on protein beam as well. So let's put them all together. Yeah, that, that's a little bit broad of a question in terms of um, side effects, I, I, uh, depending on technologies. Um, I think the technologies have all been geared towards, uh, um, I'll try to put it as an overall theme, trying to get less radiation uh, to the heart and lungs and 
and perhaps kind of uh, decreasing volumes over the years. Um, I it, it, the, the different technologies are all geared towards that. Um, I think brachytherapy, for example, um, is often put under a context of treating part of the breast. There's also um, approach from external beam in terms of treating part of the breast. Um, and that uh, those technologies are really to both shorten treatment um, and hopefully um, reduce radiation to the heart and lungs um, and cause less skin side effects. Um, the, and and I, I think it's a reasonable um, approach towards that. Um, I, I think in general, um, with good technologies, you can um, have pretty well-tolerated treatments. I don't know if I answered that uh, question, though. Thank you. Thanks. Um, does anyone want to add to that? Or? Thank you. I mean, I think it's a, it's a very broad, broad question. And I think, as Dr. Ng said, he, he, the aim in modern-day radiation is to treat just as much as we need to to minimize, um, to get the maximal effect of the radiation, but also then balance out and minimize the dose to the heart and the lungs. And each of these techniques in their in their own way do that. Excellent. And a question for you, Dr. Alouette. Is it recommended to wait for breast implant reconstruction after lumpectomy or mastectomy and before implant insertion? I think that is um, a question for your healthcare team. There's some institutions that always wait until after, and then there's some institutions that do everything up front. I think at the end of the day, what needs to be more important is treating the cancer. So if there's some question of whether there's going to be delayed healing or if for any reason radiation is going to be delayed because of the implant, then maybe we should wait for, for doing that. But I think it's a it's a question for that team. Excellent point. So, um, and actually, in true for many of the questions you're asking, all of you, these are great questions, and we will answer them in a general way, but then, of course, you'll take this information back to your treating healthcare team, of course, because that's so important that they um, customize it to, to your particular needs and to the treatment that they're planning for you. Um, and this question, um, I guess, is for... Um, for Dr. Richardson, can radiation therapy cause other cancers? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, also, I know our radiation oncologists probably be able to weigh in on that. This is something that we talk about a lot. Um, one that comes to mind uh, right away is patients for people who have a history of radiation, uh, a type of radiation which we call mantle radiation. And um, that is a type of radiation that is given to a part of an area of your chest, um, like the middle area of your chest. And those patients do have a known risk, um, and that is given for a different type of breast cancer. I'm sorry, that's given for a different type of cancer. And later in life, those patients are at, a, at an increased risk of getting uh, breast cancer. So that is one case of, uh, of known um, risk with radiation and cancers. There are some other, um, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's what the question was getting at, but that was that's one that I would I would mention. Excellent. And Dr. Eng um, or Dr. Alouette, do you want to add anything in terms of radiation therapy in general to the breast? Dr. Alouette, do you? Um, I could talk. 
I can do you mind repeating that question for me? I just want to make sure oh, yes. I can. Can, So yes, of course. Can uh, can radiation therapy cause other cancers? So I mean, I always counsel my patient that radiation therapy carries a small risk of causing a second cancer in up to you know I say 20 years. To, uh, you know, it's just a many decades ahead. Um, but as Dr. Richardson mentioned, that you know when. Um, radiation is delivered for that other type of cancer at an earlier age, that risk can be different. Um, there are certain genetic mutations, which we're not going to delve into that um, topic today, but there are certain genetic mutations where radiation is um, contraindicated in being delivered because those subset of patients tend to have a much higher risk of getting a second cancer, especially when radiation is added. Uh, so I'll just go uh, follow Dr. Alawat on this. So Nick, uh, uh, excellent question, a question I often hear from patients. Um, so um, like, the field in itself, it does appear that there may be association with uh, some uh, malignancies with radiation treatment, breast radiation treatment, but I try to um, emphasize that it usually is very low. I mean, some estimates are less than 0.1%, uh, right? So. In the general context, what radiation is trying to do is prevent recurrence of breast cancer. And um, in most situations, um, the, the breast radiation treatment is, um, the benefits of it outweigh the, the risk of a secondary malignancy. But um, it's a concern, so we should always have that discussion with our patients. Excellent, thank you. Um, and that's an interesting question. Um, from one of our participants, Dr. Richardson, realistically, why would a patient need to be seen by radiation oncology, surgery, and medical oncology for five years? It seems redundant and excessive if the patient is doing well on AI, a six-month follow-up with med on med medical oncologist providers should be sufficient with routine imaging as um, recommended if needed. Could you address this question? I, probably it's a question that a lot of patients wonder about. Um, in terms of the follow-up with each of their doctors that appeal them. Yeah, no, that's a that is a great question. So again, this is a definitely a question that you would want to address with your particular healthcare team because the needs of that that particular patient are going to be somewhat different, and you would need to follow up um, accordingly. Uh, you know, in regards to what, what each team member has a concern in regards to. So certainly there are some patients, I know in our practice, who they don't require as much follow-up with maybe other members of the team. They will follow up with me. Um, but then there are times where they need to follow up with the, with the surgeon because, uh, or the plastic surgeon more frequently for, for example, for reconstruction. Um, there are some times uh, patients that will need to follow up with the radiation oncologist um, more frequent than others, and, and it really has to be tailored to that, that person. So, yes, I, I agree there are times where you won't have to see as many providers as often, but there may be times where, where you do. Could I uh, speak yes, up? Because please. this is a topic please. that's quite dear to me as well, um, and, and I completely agree with Dr. Richardson. Um, it has to be tailored. I, I, I think in general, um, Nick, we're really – getting more of a focus in terms of survivorship care. Um, if the patient feels comfortable, uh, certainly you know, the burden of so many doctor visits can be quite burdensome, right? But it's, I think from the other perspective, from the care providers, I think it's important, though, that we offer at least the patients the opportunity for longitudinal follow-up. 
um, this equality of treatment, and, and this is a result of the good, right, good outcomes that we have. You know, our patients are living longer. Um, we, um, like we routinely you know, expect them to do well, and to be able to keep maintain that relationship and remind them of aspects of care after treatment, um, it, it's a positive one. Um, but of course, this should really be tailored with uh, each individual patient. I, I think that if that five-year point is always a good landmark to think about things uh, in terms of transitioning back to their primary care physician. Uh, but longitudinal relationships, I feel strongly about, are, are a fundamental part of our field. Excellent. And question for you, Dr. Eng. Um, if radiation is recommended for both breasts, is the radiation done at the same time for both breasts or a separate time frame? Great question. Um, I think that, um, and yeah, certainly if Dr. Alawat uh, has uh, thoughts on this, I think that it's, in general, we should be comfortable with treating both at the same time. Uh, you know, as we're really, right, a focus of our field is trying to make things, um, you know, both uh, reduce side effects, but also make things more convenient for patients. Um, and with uh, our technology these days, we should be able to really um, have ability to make sure there's no overlap between treating the left side and right side. So, um, so I think for many of my patients who I'm treating both sides, I can do it at the same time um, uh, comfortably and safely. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Alawat, a question for you. If your tumor had clean margins and your lymph node is negative, why do we still need radiation and hormone therapy? I'll get that one to Dr. Richardson. Um, isn't the cancer gone? Uh, so it, it depends on your surgery. It depends on your age. You know, like I think we we've all mentioned this. Cancer care is dependent on the patient itself. You know, we can't just take um, general guidelines and apply them across the board, right? So um, there are a, there are a subset of women older than the age of 70 with a very small tumor that is hormone receptor positive with clean margins that can go on to omit radiation. Um, and, and I think most practitioners feel that that's in, uh, in accordance with national guidelines. But for a younger patient whose breast is intact, um, even if it's a small tumor, one may not feel as comfortable. Um, as we don't, it's a balance between those aspects versus, you know, making sure that this doesn't come back in that breast. Excellent. Um, and, um, Dr. Richardson, do you want to comment about the, um, the hormone therapy as well? If your tumor had clean margins and your lymph node is negative, why do we still need radiation and hormone therapy? Isn't like a cancer gone? Yeah. Um, yes. Hi. So we would still require uh, hormone therapy um, because, and I just want to make sure that I was that I was hearing and understanding this question. I know you repeated it. You said if there are clear margins, yes, clean margins, and radiation. And and lymph node is negative, why do we still need radiation and hormone therapy? Isn't the cancer gone? Yes, yes, yes. That's a very good question, and that's one that I get actually fairly often in clinic. And I, the way that I always explain it to patients is that uh, when we do a lumpectomy, the reason why we follow it up with radiation is to control, is to keep cancer from coming back in that exact same um, space in the, in the breast where we did the surgery. Um, even though on the pathology and surgical report, it says that we didn't see any cancer that was um, remaining that we could see, we do know that if we don't follow that up with radiation, you are at a 
a higher risk of that cancer coming back in the same place where you had surgery. So that's why we do the radiation. Um, and, and I'm not radiation causes that. That's, that's my, my way that I explain it to our patients. Um, and then the, the reason for endocrine therapy is not just to prevent cancer from coming back in the breast. It's really to prevent cancer, although that it does do that. It's also to prevent cancer from coming back outside of the breast as what we call a metastatic recurrence. So for the cancer to come back um, in the bones or in the liver or the lungs. And so it's really to help to do that. And we know that there is um, benefit. And we have lots and lots of long-term data showing that um, there is a benefit with decreasing a metastatic uh, recurrence if you are on endocrine therapy for hormone receptor positive breast cancer. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and um, question for um, Dr. Eng, and I don't know if you can answer this specifically, but what products are recommended for preventing or managing skin issues during radiation therapy? Yeah, I'm going to try to keep away from you know, because there are a lot of commercial products out there. Right. Um, and, and really, all the randomized trials have not necessarily, you know, so for example, hyaluronic acid-based skin moisturizers versus non. Um, and and so I, I don't think that there's been any strong randomized evidence to say one type is better than the other. But we all are aware that you know acute dermatitis um, is is a issue and it's a quality of life issue for our patients, right? Um, when we're treating, so so I, I feel that um, uh, any of the of the the moisturization products um, are fine, um, and I will generally tell patients, you know, um, you can you know, usually see them at your local uh, pharmacy store, um, uh, uh, and and I just you know, tell them to do it routinely and for a couple of months after uh, radiation treatment. Um, but I, you know, just, I think for propriety's sake, I won't favor one or the other. Of course. Thank you so much. Thanks. I want to thank our speakers. You've really been phenomenal. And I actually want to ask you each to just give a takeaway for our participants, just a takeaway point, perhaps a sentence, starting with the order that you presented to so Dr. Richardson, then Dr. Alouette, then Dr. Eng, um, just to give people just what you'd like them to take away from today's program. Yeah, I, I'd like I think the biggest takeaway would be that these, the importance of the um, multiple, well, multidisciplinary approach to your care. You can see how there are so many different angles and so many different, um, I don't want to say angles, but so many different ways to approach this, this question. And it really, really has to involve the entire team, the surgeons, the radiation oncologists, the breast oncologists, the radiologists, and so um, social workers, the pathologists, the genetic counselors. And so it's really, really important to get to know the members of your team and how they play and role and just to um, help them to help you figure out everything with your breast cancer journey. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Alouette? You know, I think what I would say to take away, um, I mean, I, I echo Dr. Richardson's sentiment that the, the multidisciplinary approach is the best uh, approach um, so that the whole team is on the same page and the patient has the most support. But beyond that, specifically for breast radiation, you know, it is safe. Modern-day techniques have evolved significantly from the days of old. And, um, you know, our goal is to make this as 
convenient while helping to treat the cancer as best as we can. So we've geared towards shortening treatment while preserving more normal tissue function as best as we can. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Eng? And I'll end with an optimistic note. I think um, Nick, as a field we um, and with our patients, we should be happy. Our outcomes are getting better. Um, and, uh, and this is due to team effort. Um, and, but I remain that uh, I think that uh, patients and doctors have to have that personal relationship. Uh, it's still a, a human craft um, as well as a just um, advancing, burgeoning scientific um, team effort. Well, I want to thank all our speakers. You've been really phenomenal. I want to thank all of our participants who've asked such really great questions. Although we haven't done this particular topic before, we've done lots of programs on breast cancer, but the questions on this one have been really outstanding. And, and our speakers, it's just been a great connection. Also amongst the speakers, you get to see the speakers interacting with each other as well. So I want to thank you all. But I do know we have many more questions in queue, so I want to respond to that as well. So. For those of you who asked a question, for those of you who have a question that you were hoping to ask but are still in queue, and for those of you who are thinking of a question to ask, we want you to take all of the information you learned today, bring it back to your treating healthcare team, and ask your question of your healthcare team. I think repeatedly our speakers have said that your team, of course, knows you the best, they have the most information about you, and they actually can address your questions. These were all great questions. So one thing I hope you've learned from today's program is that there are all questions are great and important to ask over and over again until you have an answer that you are comfortable with and understand. That's very important. Also, um, we, um, for those of you who wish to pursue further help at Cancer Care, you can contact Cancer Care at 1-800-813-4673 and speak to one of our oncology social workers or visit our website at www.cancercare.org. Again, I want to wish you all a very fine day. And also, I don't want any one of you to feel that you're alone in coping with, um, with breast cancer or any type of cancer. I want you to now know that you're part of a community of support and we are all here to help you. And if we at Cancer Care don't have the resources and if your healthcare team doesn't, between the, all these different groups, we'll refer you to places that can get you know, credible help. So we will provide for you credible resources to get information about um, cancer treatment, um, particularly breast cancer treatment was the focus of today. So we'll give you some links to really well-respected, credible organizations that have most up-to-date information on the treatment of breast cancer. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.